Lord, we are thankful that we can be in your presence among your people this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we look into your word, we pray for your enabling. We pray that we will learn something. We pray that blessing from Almighty God will come upon us personally, upon our families, and upon this church, Lord. So God, uh, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we begin this Sunday uh, a new sermon series on the humor of Christ. And today, mine will be the introductory sermon for this series of five. And it is about how to swallow a camel. Not so funny, uh. nobody laughs anyway. But before I attempt to, to teach you this funny business of how to swallow a camel, I want to bring you back to the good old days of the Puritans. The Puritans um, in the time of England and New England, right, which is America, in the 1600s and the 1700s, um, what, three, 300 some years ago. And the time of the Puritans was a time of reacting um, against the very riotous times of a very degenerate um, religious situation in the Catholic as well as the Anglican Church in England uh, and also in America, where, where the church was wild. Uh, priests were drunk, they were corrupted, they were having immoral sexual relationships. They were absolutely political. They were entirely worldly. And so the Puritans, to be pure, reacted against that in a massive swing to the other extreme, where the Puritans thought that laughing betrays a very low level of spirituality. If you laugh, that means you're not so spiritual, where gloom indicates godliness. Right? You pull a long face, means you're godly. And life during the Puritan times was stern and ascetic. They never wrote um, a, a light line, as, as in jokes. And, and laughter equals drunkenness, or laughter is likened to being drunk. John Wesley was a Puritan. Okay, John Wesley never wrote a joke, never preached a humorous anecdote. Another Puritan, uh, a, Puri uh, a president of Harvard University, a man called Increase, as in Increase, Increase Mather, he vowed never to smile in public. Okay, and then another a leader forbid the children in his orphanage um, to smile because fun and humor were sacrilegious. That was the time of the Puritans. And so much so that this satirist, this guy called Mencken, wrote this statement. He said, Puritanism, uh, Puritanism, the definition is the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be happy. And, but even to this day, you will hear, I'm sure all of us have heard, that the pulpit is not meant for jokes or for jokers. Right? So no pastor should be a joker. And what are the Bible verses used to support this? Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, this coming 
from Jesus himself. He said, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. It's like that Bethlehem joke. Or from Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, that nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so based on verses like this, the Puritans swung to another extreme. Now, I want to try an experiment here. Okay? I want to see whether you can keep from laughing. Okay? Because I'm going to just show you a few pictures of what God does. And please try not to laugh because I don't want PPH to have a reputation of drunkenness. Okay? Although we drank a little bit of wine. Okay. Let's go. This is God's creation. Some sea creature. This is also God's creation. You're doing very well because you're not laughing. Shing, you fail. <laughs> and this is God's creation. And this is God's creation. Well, the text for today is Matthew chapter 23, just two verses, 23 and 24. It says, Woe to you, Jesus is speaking, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. What are you supposed to do after scripture like this has been read? In some traditions, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be to God. But for this passage, you are supposed to R-F-L-O-L. You are supposed to be rolling on the floor and laughing out loud. You know, are we, are we, a, are we spirit-filled Christians? And is PPH a spirit-filled church? Then you ought to be R-F-L-O-L because this is a funny passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 23 is, is a blistering attack by Jesus on religious hypocrisy, but in a somewhat humorous way. In his seven-point sermon on seven woes, he stepped on many, many toes. And I think the Pharisees, they don't know whether to laugh or to cry after they heard this sermon by Jesus. So is PPH a humorous church or a humorless church? Well, I, I'm going to have a difficult time today. <laughs> well, let me share with you some research that I did on humor, okay? I found that humor was invented around 550 BC by a Greek philosopher called Galibel. Galibel was studying chickens on his farm and they were, he was watching as they crossed the path between his home and the chicken coop. And, and he began to wonder about their intentions and Galibel became the first man to ask this question. Why did the chicken cross the road? Galibel, right? Galibel, Galibo, get it? Okay, humor was not invented per se, but we do know that Greek comedies were already written in the 6th century BC. But what about the Bible? I believe God had fun writing the Bible. 
as the master communicator, he did it with style. In fact, many styles. Or like Pastor Danny would say, sing with a smile, dance with style. What are some of these styles? Well, God used alliterations. And the classic example is Psalm 119, the longest psalm, where the letter of each successive sentence, the first letter of the sentence in Psalm 119 starts with a successive Hebrew alphabet. So, first line starts with A, then B, then C, then D. Okay, from Hebrew alphabet, 22 alphabets from Aleph to Taf. I- imagine someone writing a poem with 26 lines. The first line starts with A, and B, C, D, until Z. That's what God did in Psalm 119. And I think God had a lot of fun inspiring the psalmist to write such a psalm, the longest psalm. God used puns. And Genesis chapter 26 verse 8 is a great example. Genesis chapter 26 verse 8 in NIV. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Isaac in Hebrew is Ishak. Isaac Shamir, Ishak. The word caress is Sasha. So, Isaac was Isaacing his wife, Rebecca. Ishak was Shashaking his wife, Rebecca. The word Isaac means he laughs. He laughs. And he laughs was laughing with his wife, Rebecca. That's what God did. Just having fun playing around with the words. Another example would be Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. And in the King James Version, he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. The word judgment is mishpat. The word oppression is mishpah. He looked for mishpat, he got mishpah. And he looked for zidakah, he got za'akah. That's how God plays around with uh, uh, words. Even in writing the Bible, I think he was having fun. And so some wisecrack took this verse and, and tried to do an English version. And, and he says, He looked for equity and low iniquity, for a scepter and low a, spect- uh, uh, a specter. And so men and God are able to do this. We have this facility of language and we are fooling around and, and we are playing around with words and, and having fun. God used parables. Uh, one that I, I like in the Old Testament would be the story of Nathan confronting King David. Remember, after adultery and murder, and he, he told this story of a rich man stealing uh, a poor man's little lamp, and King David got so angry that this man ought to be killed or something. And Nathan, his classic one is, You're the man! Right? You're the man. And that's a great story, a parable that really got to uh, King David's heart. But in the New Testament, we all know about Jesus' parables, how powerful his parables are. Prodigal son, Samaritan woman, uh, uh, the, the Samaritan man, and, and, and all that. And God also uses aphorisms. Aphorisms are short observations that contain a general truth, like there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Like 
Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also like James 1.19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Short sentences, but so much truth inside there. God uses Proverbs. And we have a whole book of Proverbs. Much of it is, is actually quite funny in uh, uh, many of the Proverbs. And, and my favorite is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. Okay, 11, 22. It says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Yeah. <laughs> even Jesus. Jesus used uh, not even a biblical uh, a, a Proverbs in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Physician, heal thyself. He used an ordinary day-to-day proverb and it became scripture. Physician, heal thyself is now biblical. Proverbs. And so humor is found all over the Bible. Some are quite direct, as in putting a ring in a fixed snout. Some are very indirect, and, and you really need to read between the lines. But humor is clearly evident. And, and you can say, you can even say that there is a, a strategy of laughter that God uses. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4, a time to weep. God says, yes, a time to weep. But there is a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. But we know that the Bible is not a joke book, right? Not by any means. But God has appointed a time to laugh and a time to weep. God has a strategy for laughter. And we know that, you and I know that one of the most effective human ways of communication is through judicious use of humor or or wit. Where did that come from? It came from God because we are made in the image of God. And it has been said, um, I'm not sure about the scientific evidence for this, it has been said that man is the only animal that laughs. I don't know, try and get your dog to laugh, your cat to laugh, I don't know. We saw a few funny uh, pictures of a donkey and a giraffe, but I don't think that's real laughter. But, so it could be true, that man is the only animal that laughs. And, and so humour was not invented, humour is inherited. We are made in the image of God a humorous God, a humorous man. And humor has a stealthy, a stealthy way of detouring past people's defenses and going right into the heart. That's what Jesus, that's what God used a lot of in Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In other words, there is a therapeutic role for humor in health. It's like, what is the best way to prevent diabetes? So there was this French guy and a German guy and a Jew who walk into a bar. The Germans say, oh, I'm thirsty and tired. I must have beer. The French guy said, oh, I'm thirsty and tired. I must have wine. And the Jew says, I'm thirsty and tired. I must have diabetes. Ashing to explain this, Ashing to explain. Proverbs, um, Proverbs 15, verse 13, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. 
Proverbs 15, verse 30. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. So from a happy heart makes a happy face, a happy face makes a happy heart, and it turns, in turn, makes happy bones. That strategy of laughter. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Salt gives taste, gives flavor. God gives abundant life. And abundant life is seasoned with flavor. And abundant life is not some insipid, flat, tasteless, dour life. So there is humor in Scripture. And I think, what was the earliest indication of humor in Scripture? What do you think? Earliest one. I think there are some indications. I think it's found very early in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air and then brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Surely God knew that animals would not make a good helper for Adam. But he wanted Adam to see all the funny creatures that he has made. He wanted Adam to give names to each one of them. And I think God wanted him to, Adam to increase his sense of expectation. Giraffe, too tall. Pig, too fat. Skunk, too smelly. And finally, when he's gone through all the animal kingdom, God took a bone out of Adam and he made woman. And what was the first word that came out of Adam's mouth? It's not in the English, but in the Hebrew, I've been told, it's like, wow, wow, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I think that was the first time humor came in when God told Adam, hey, giraffe cannot. Well, when was the first recorded laughter in Scripture? First recorded laughter. Well, it's found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12 when Abraham's wife, Sarah, laughed at the notion that she will conceive a child in her old age. Genesis 18, 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? More than that, more than the, the thought of having a child in old age, the thought of having sexual pleasure in doing so. The Hebrew word for, for laughter is sashat. And God followed up on this very playfully. God told Adam and Sarah to name their child, what? Itchak, which means he laughs. Sashak is laugh, Itchak is he laughs. And God even had fun with Isaac's name. And we mentioned earlier, Genesis 26 verse 8, when Isaac was Isaacing his wife, when Itchak was Sashaking his wife, when laughter was laughing with Rebecca, the NIV thinks that we cannot read between the lines. Okay, in the King James Version, it was like uh, Isaac was laughing with Rebecca, his wife. The NIV says, 
Isaac translates it in full for us. Isaac was caressing his wife. In case you guys don't get it. Okay. <laughs> and so God does all that. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, we all know this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And Nehemiah commanded the people, today is not a day for mourning. Today is a day of joy when they finish the temple walls and all that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, says rejoice in the Lord always. And this is emphatic, okay? This is a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Have fun. Let's take a look at Jewish humor. What is Jewish humor? Um, a distinctive of Jewish humor in my research is to deflate pomposity. So the pompous guy, the, the egoistic guy is to like cut him down. Very much like what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 23. Jewish humor is also a device, it is said, for self-criticism within the community. So Jewish people laugh at themselves. It is a kind of humility. So the, the Jewish joker is like an Old Testament prophet. He basically takes people to task for their failings, points it out to them. Whoever sets the rules, this, this figure of authority, and when he has failings, who are such people? Pharisees. Or even today, the modern rabbi. And the Pharisees and the rabbis, they are the butt of Jewish jokes. At the same time, the Jews like to constantly pit their, their, their wits against their own rules and their own figures of authority, right? The, the Pharisees, the rabbi, all the rules that these people wrote, they are always pitting themselves and, and challenging it. And, and Jews have had a long history um, since Jesus' days, or, or no, since Moses' days of of training their minds and exercising their wits against all these pharisaical rules. For example, are you permitted to fly in an aeroplane on the Sabbath? So Sabbath can fly or not? Answer is, yes, if your seatbelt is fastened. Why? Because then you're not flying. You are wearing the aeroplane. Okay? Very smart, right? A little bit funny, right? Did you know that all the famous comedians are Jewish? Okay, I exaggerate. A dis disproportionately high percentage of Hollywood uh, uh, jokers or comedians are Jewish. Okay, I show you some. From the top left-hand corner coming down to the right, okay? Adam Sandler, some of you may know. Ben Stiller, John Stewart, Rodney Dangerfield, Jerry Seinfeld, Goldie Hawn, Billy Crystal, Bat Midler, Lisa Kudrow, you might know from Friends. Ah, Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen, as Jewish as can be. But to me, he's always Borat, right? Always Borat. It's like that. Okay, now we ask the question, did Jesus laugh or joke? Actually, there's no biblical record of Jesus laughing or even smiling. In fact, he was called a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53. But there's no biblical record of Sunday school either, okay? But if you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 33, for, the John, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. This is Jesus. So you don't eat bread, you don't drink wine, it's demonic. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, drinking wine, 
And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you complain against a drunkard and a glutton. That's what they call Jesus. What do drunk people do a lot of? Drunk people laugh a lot. Right? And so that's what they were accusing Jesus of. In other words, when you are full of spirit, what are you called? You're called high spirit. You're high spirited, right? You're animated. You're spirit filled. That's what they say Jesus was. And Jesus certainly wasn't a Puritan like his cousin, John the Baptist, who neither drank nor eat bread, only eat locusts and wild honey. And in the book um, that first got me interested in this, called The Humor of Christ, the author is uh, Elton Trueblood. He tells the story of his four-year-old son, one day he was reading one day he was reading Matthew chapter 7 verse 3. He says, why, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, to that log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the little speck from your brother's eye. And his son burst out laughing when he read this portion of scripture. The four-year-old son recognized a humor that others didn't. How, how do we see Christ's humor? Because none of you laugh when I read Matthew chapter 7. You see it when you are like a child. Right? I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You see how sharp Jesus' wit was. It was obvious to Elton Trueblood's four-year-old son, but to us sophisticated spiritual people. Eh. Some are very direct, some are, are subtle. They need to be read in between the lines, sort of like Isaac was Isaacing his wife. Okay, that one you need to read a little bit in between the lines. Some are paradoxical, some are, are just preposterous, and, and some are just playful. So let's go through. Paradoxical. A, a, a paradox is an absurd or a contradictory statement which, when you investigate it, it proves to be true. Like Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I think when he said that, all the disciples laughed. Because Peter was no rock. Peter was totally unstable. Straight after getting this very solid name from Jesus, Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. And then, instead of calling Peter rock, he called Peter Satan. Satan. And then, after Jesus was arrested, Peter denied him three times. And just before that, he boldly declared, if everybody turn away, I will not turn away. I am the rock. So, it's a paradox. But, with the help of God, eventually, Peter lived up to his name. The new name, Peter, given to him, the rock, when he defended the faith. So, a paradox. At first, absurd, but later, true. Or, Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says, leave them, they are blind guys. If a blind man leads a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit. 
how can the blind lead the blind? It's absurd, it's ridiculous, but it's so true. It's so true. If you follow these Pharisees, you will fall into a pit. You are blind following the blind. Again, paradox. Or, um, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, when Jesus told a, a parable, a story, and, and then he said this statement, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was telling uh, the chief priests and the elders that this is a paradoxical uh, that, that par- prostitutes and, and these Roman running dogs, these tax collectors, they will enter the kingdom ahead of chief priests and elders. Yes, because the prostitutes and the tax collectors repent and they obey. Instead of saying that they obey like the chief priests and the elders and then don't obey. And so paradoxical, but true. What about pre- preposterous? Prepos- pre- preposterous means contrary to common sense or reason. So Luke chapter 8, verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. Absurd, right? Doesn't make sense, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake, a serpent, a scorpion? Luke chapter 18, verse 25. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's preposterous. And this one, this one next week, Reverend Peter, uh, David Wong will be covering, going through the eye of a needle. So it's paradoxical, it's preposterous, it's also playful. Playful is very simple, it's, it's, it's to give pleasure or to express uh, pleasure, it's, it's to be light-hearted. Now, when the Canaanite woman came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, this, um, and what did Jesus say? Jesus says, um, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. Wow, what the heck is that? <laughs> what is that? This Canaanite woman just comes and says, my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession and Jesus says, don't give bread to the dogs. I think Jesus was just being playful. He knew that this woman had great faith. He wanted to lift up that faith, set it up, for all eternity in the Word of God, that this foreigner, this Gentile, this Canaanite had great faith, greater than some of the chief priests and scribes and elders of the land. And then this, because he said that statement, it caused this woman to say, but, but even dogs eat the crumbs from, that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, verse 28, Woman, you have great faith your request is granted. Jesus was obviously saying that with a smile on his face. You think Jesus was very grudging. Wow, your answer is so good. Huh? I have to give you your, your request. Huh? I have to heal your daughter because the answer is so good. Cannot be, right? Jesus was just being playful. Just elicit that faith that comes out and set her up as the icon of great faith for all of us to, to emulate. He was just being playful. Um, what about Matthew chapter 6, verse 2? So, when you give to the needy, 
do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. Uh, this will be a sermon two weeks from now. Sometimes I'm not quite sure about this, but I sort of think that maybe they don't actually do it with, with trumpets. Um, but Jesus was, was playfully saying that you're, you're blowing your own trumpet. Uh, that you might as well blow your own trumpet if you are going to be giving to the poor and wanting everybody to praise you. It could be a very playful thing. And true to the Jewish brand of humor, this guy, Elton Trueblood, who wrote this book, The Humor of Christ, let me quote from him. He says, Christ served the cause of true religion by exposing the pompous person whose profession far exceeds his practice. That's what Christ has done. Okay. 10.20. I just finished my introduction. <laughs> Let's begin the sermon proper. Okay. Oh yeah, this is the quote. Christ served the cause of true religion by exposing the pompous person whose profession far exceeds his practice. I think he was also trying to be a bit witty, you know, a thought piece down there. P, 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 P. Anyway. Um, it's about how to swallow camels. Back to our text in Matthew chapter 23. Um, this two verses is one of seven woes. Uh, some people count eight. It's very hard-hitting, but it was very stylishly done. I think Pastor Danny would love it. You count mint, dill, and, and cumin. I mean, you, you saw it, right? You sprinkle a little dill on an omelette. You put a little bit of mint leaves on a cake. And you count one-tenth of that, but you neglect the big issues of justice, of mercy, and of faith, of faithfulness. According to Old Testament law, gnats, like mosquitoes or flies, are unclean. Camels are also unclean. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 42 talks about creatures that crawl all over the ground, which either walk on all fours or has many feet. Okay? So that is the net. Leviticus 11.4 talks about camel, that although camel chews the cart, it does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. And so you don't eat camels, you don't eat nets, you want to strain the net before it falls into your water or into your wine. So to eat nets and to swallow camels is supposed to make you laugh. Lah. It's comical, okay, but people like us, we don't get it. So how to swallow camels? I want to introduce two books to you. Uh, the one on the left I read recently is by Randy Alcorn, you know, the guy who wrote If God is Good. So he writes this fictional story called The Ishpin Conspiracy. Um, it's a fictional book about how demons were plotting to mess up the life of a group of American teenagers. It's, it's so like the screw tape letters, you know, from from C.S. Lewis, uh, about a senior demon teaching a junior demon how to do his job properly. So, I thought I would take this approach. That's why the title, How to Swallow a Camel. And so difficult for me. So I thought of calling up a few of you to help me in this. But I decided I couldn't call you. I mean, what would you think if I called you and I said, Hey, um, Shinga, I'm preparing this sermon and need to think like a demon. And I thought you'd be the best person to help me. <laughs> I can't do that, right? 
So without any of your help, this is the best that I can do. Here goes. How to swallow a camel? You need desensitization. A camel is quite a large animal to swallow. You, know, you, you, you need to be desensitized. To swallow a full-size adult camel, you need stretching exercises. Start with tolerating baby camels of little injustice, little lack of mercy, and soon you will develop this ability to swallow full-size adult camels. Dr. Tan Lai Yong, last uh, Saturday, uh, told us that there is nothing nice about poverty. You don't think that you go to Nepal and see some poor kids running around naked and, and laughing and jumping into the water and picking up coins that you throw uh, through there that, that is so fun. It's, it's a peaceful, lovely place. Don't think that there is anything nice about poverty. Don't listen to people like Tan Lai Yong. Okay, these are dangerous people. Or, or Nelson Mandela, who, who said that overcoming poverty is not a task of charity. It is an act of justice, like slavery and apartheid. Poverty is not natural. He says, Mandela are dangerous people. For centuries, Christians have swallowed this camel of slavery and racism and poverty. They are big camels, but look how swallowable they are. You can do it. And, and why should you care about injustice and unmercy? Didn't Jesus say that the poor you will always have with you? They are poor because they are lazy. You are not poor because God has blessed you and God helps those who help themselves. Find that in the Bible. You deserve to be rich because you are hardworking. If you give grace, you give mercy, too easily you will spoil the poor people. Go on, be, be religious, be pious, tithe your spices, but spare your salaries. Criticize others for being spendthrift, but be thrifty yourself and then be self-righteous about it. By all means, save some. Ah, that you can find in the Bible. Save your money, but leave your money in the bank and, investment, and in investments as monuments to your industry and your ingenuity. Every month, look at your statement and just admire it. Worship it. Your savings is for your double, your triple, your quadruple security. And then swallow this third camel of faithlessness. He who is faithful in swallowing babies will be faithful in swallowing adult camels. That's also found in the Bible. Another way to swallow camels, okay, take notes, <laughs> is distraction. To be so distracted that you don't even know you're swallowing camels. That's the best way to go about it. Distract these Christians from, not by getting them to do incorrect things, but to do incomplete things to the point of unbalance. Tithing mint and dill and cumin is not incorrect. It's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. What great success we have had um, to have so many churches arguing about the correctness of using either real wine or Ribena for communion, whether you use one cup or many cups, whether you use hymn books or PowerPoint slides, whether you have drums or no drums. These are great distractions so that they don't give a damn. It's okay. A demon can say damn in church over how uninvolved their community, uh, they are in their community around them and how uninvolved they are in spreading the enemy's love. 
and this thing called gospel, which is bad news. There is a church that tries to be both correct and complete in their 5M purpose statement. Distract them. Distract them. Have them focus on membership. Membership, good. Connection, potluck. Maturity, good. More Bible study. The more, the better. More bonding holidays in cell groups. More Bible studies. But don't let them touch ministry and mission. Change their terminology. Don't call it cell group. Cell group means got to expand. Don't say discipleship group. Discipleship is bad word. Call them Bible study groups. Bible study is very good. Do more. Bible study is also BS. Don't cap. This rubbish cap. What adopt community, pastor community, rubbish. Don't do prayer walk. When you do capping, when you do prayer walk, it gives us big headaches. It causes us in the demonic world all kinds of problems. And how are we long for the good old days when our star disciple, Hitler, was murdering Jews and, and all these imperfect disabled people. And Christians were happily arguing about whether or not you can wear jewelry in church or wear makeup. And all these sabbatical pieties uh, don't buy Sunday newspapers, cannot buy Sunday newspapers because it's just a, it's just a Sabbath. And a woman cannot wear pants. Or even if you wear pants, you must wear a skirt over it. Meanwhile, we are happily killing Jews. It was our golden age when the enemy's chosen race was being murdered in Christian Germany. When the blacks were being oppressed in Christian America. That was a golden, our golden age. And then you should stop this pastor in Pasipanjang uh, who thinks he's very humorous. Uh, when he said this on the 2nd of February, you know, he said perverted priorities is a perennial problem for the pretentiously pious and doesn't have a place in Pasipanjang, please. He thinks that's funny. <laughs> Performance finished. <laughs> And now it's time to take off my demonic hat, which I hope you see I don't wear very well. But Jesus was speaking the truth in love. Jesus says, don't neglect the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faith. And we need to listen to this truth that is spoken in love and sometimes humorously. You know, it's sort of like somebody telling you you had bad breath, you know. The person that does that to me the most uh, is my wife in spite of the fact that she is the one who loves me the most. But actually, it's because of the fact that she loves me the most in this earth. And so I listen to her. Always listen to your wife. I don't just listen, I do. Right? I gargle, la, I floss, la, I brush my teeth. La. Okay, let me just end with this a quotation from this book, The Humor of Christ. Elton Trueblood said this, Humor is redemptive when it leads to comic self-discovery. The most valuable use we can make of the wit and humor of Christ is to think of ourselves as Pharisees, as we to some extent are, and thus allow the comic purification to take place. We hate to be laughed at by one another, but we do not mind being laughed at by Him. Let me close in prayer.
I don't know how you're going to apply this sermon. <laughs> just have fun now. Just rejoice. Okay, that we have somebody who loves us so much, who will tell us to our face, who will speak the truth in love, sometimes in super strong language, like in Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, but humorously and spoken in love. Lord, we thank you that, that you care enough for us, you love us, and every time we take the Holy Communion, we see a body broken for us, we see blood shed for us. And as we read Scripture, God, would you let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us, teach us, admonish us, love us, transform us, that we in turn would be disciples. We would carry your love, your teachings. We would follow you with all our hearts, wholeheartedly, Christ followers. And we would live the abundant life, seasoned with salt, that we might know how to answer everyone. Abundant, tasteful, fun, rejoicing, joyful, with strength, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.